Hello and welcome to the Swim England East Region podcast. My name is Kevin and I'm the Regional Swimming Talent Officer and will be hosting today's discussion. Hopefully you are already following all our social media feeds, but if not, please make sure you give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Swim England East Region. On today's episode, we are in conversation with Performance Hearts, who are our strength and conditioning services provider for the regional development camps. What's pretty cool is because of the new digital formats for our camps this year, we've got live questions coming in from swimmers all across the region. This is the first of three episodes where we are talking to strength and conditioning coaches, a sports psychologist, and finally a nutritionist. A link to the presentation that precedes this discussion is in the show notes and make sure you click subscribe to the podcast so you're up to date as we launch more episodes. If you like what you hear, please give us a quick review as well. So let's get started with episode 10 of the podcast. It's a live Q&A and we are in conversation with Fiona from Performance Hearts. I hope you find this discussion useful. Um, thanks for joining us t- today. We've got, uh, at the moment, let's have a quick look. We've got over 60 people on the call, which is double what we usually have on a camp. So uh, we're extremely happy that we've been able to kind of run this, but also get more people involved than usual. So we haven't just gone around our usual 36, which is what the camps are usually capped at just because of space on the day. Uh, we've opened it out to a lot more. Uh, most of our videos have had over 200 hits already, which is great. Uh, but thank you for joining us this evening. Um, I'm going to almost get straight into it. I just want to introduce Fiona, who's from Performance Hertfordshire. Um, the video you would have seen will have been with a number of members of staff, but they're from the same gym. They work in the same elite team of coaches. So uh, we've got hopefully some uh, fantastic questions from you all coming in. Um, I don't know if you just want to say hello for uh, everybody, Fiona. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I'm Fiona. Uh, you would have seen my colleague Jack in the video. Uh, he was doing the in-person side and I'm doing the, the question and answer side. Um, but yeah, uh, I've worked in high performance sports for 15 years now. Um, and one of our key sports that we work with at the University of Hertfordshire and at Performance Hearts is swimming. Uh, with Hatfield Swim Club being one of our key, key groups that we work with. And we've seen athletes all the way through from grassroots level through to Olympic level. Um, so hopefully uh, my background, my experience, my knowledge and everything I learned at university and have put into practice can hopefully help answer your questions and uh, target your training to improve your uh, performance and avoid injury. Fantastic. Well, thanks for that introduction. We're going to dive straight in because I've had some questions in advance, uh, which we'll roll through. And then anyone who's got any questions at all, if you can just pop them into the chat box, that would be great. Uh, But the first thing I would like to ask is, can you give us some top tips for swimmers that are relatively new to doing land work? Because obviously we've got a lot of young athletes on the call and obviously for them, this might be a completely new thing for them. Uh, So just really some top tips just to get people started. Great, uh, great question. I like that one. Um, yes, I think the first thing is um, just be cautious how how much you you sort of bite off too quickly. So some people sort of they'll listen to this, which is fantastic, and then they'll go, "I really want to focus on my S and C," 
and they'll they'll just add a lot of volume to an already quite high uh, high volume sport like swimming and you might already have other sports uh, that you're also competing in at school as well as PE and so on so do just bear that in mind that'd be my first first point um build it up gradually um with regards uh, key exercises, um, I'd say start simple. I think too many people probably, uh, and maybe with social media out there, uh, look to look to their heroes uh, on social media. But you've got to remember they will have been training for many, many years, maybe maybe even like a lifetime uh, of years um, more than yourselves. So they've they've built up all the foundations and they've almost earned the earned the right to really do the, the really intrinsic advanced exercises. And often it's just the basics that really need to be done really well and consistently. Um, you know, so you can't really, can't really go wrong with a, a squat pattern, a deadlift pattern like Jack showed you, a, a couple of core exercises to help with your streamline uh, position and anti-drag um and so on uh then be my first two uh I, I think just following on from what you said there um one of the things i think there's a misconception with the word strength and conditioning is that involves developing you know weights or you know, that sort of thing but actually you know if we look through the program that we put out around starting with basic mobility and actually an understanding i guess that for most of our young swimmers here it won't involve any weights or anything like that at all. This is very much laying the foundations and preventing injury. Absolutely. And yeah, I think often the, the strength and conditioning title of our role or the, the area that we work in, the strength really gets the key element. And, and it's because people like me work in gyms and we work in weight, weightlifting rooms. So it often ends up getting the, the emphasis, whereas actually the majority of our work, especially at youth age athletes, can be done in a sports hall, can be done in, at home. You've probably all realised how much you can do over lockdown in a, you know, in a garden or in your, in your lounge. Um, and it's, it's really key to really embed all of those movement patterns uh, at a young age your body won't have gone through the changes to actually make the strength changes that you would make um, once you're into sort of like your later teens and so on anyway. So the, the most beneficial type of training you can actually be doing is ingraining those movement patterns uh, and especially learning them as your body starts to grow as well. So I don't know if anyone's had a sudden growth spurt and realized hang on, I could, you know, I could do that movement before. And now that's a little bit tricky. And that's just your body getting used to bones suddenly growing a bit longer, muscle lengths having to catch up, and so on. And it's really sort of helping the, the sort of muscle um, brain connection uh, and ingrain those patterns of movement, just like you do when you learn the strokes in swimming. Um, and and I I can't uh, I can't emphasize enough how wonderful it is when we get athletes coming through um, who have started SNC from a young age, because then the positive is when they are at the age where we can start adequately loading their bodies um, with the strength side of things, then they've already got the movement patterns and we don't sort of waste months or even years trying to actually learn the basics. They've already got that and we can start to progress on as necessary. 
Fantastic. Um, we've already got a couple of questions coming. I've got one more that I've had in advance, and it was actually around the bands. Oh, yeah. um, talking really just, a, a, I guess, a brief explanation around the different types of bands there are. And obviously, there was different exercises on there. So really just a, a bit of a background on bands and explaining them for people who's never come across before. Yep, uh, good question. So bands are becoming quite popular these days. Uh, great bit of home kit. There's generally two types you can get. Uh, one is a loop, uh, a mini band, it's often called if you were to, to look it up on the internet. Um, and they're just something that you can almost uh, climb into. You can put it around your knees or put it around your elbows and it's sort of a full loop. They're also like the ones that you, if anyone's been to a physio and they've given you a, a cut off bit of TheraBand that you can actually tie into a loop as well. Um, they come in different thicknesses and obviously the thicker the band is, the more resistance it can, it can apply. Um, if you've got one you can self tie, you can obviously tie it or double it up and make it thicker. Um, so they're quite useful for exercises. Uh, you saw Jack in the video doing things like where he had it around his elbows while he was doing some crawling type patterns. We sometimes put it around the knees and do some glute work and squats. Um, the other type of band is a, a longer band, a little bit more expensive, but still sort of around the £10 mark for one. Uh, and it's a, it would be called a resistance band. Um, and they're normally a 41 inch pull up resistance band when you're looking for the right sort of terminology to, to find the right one. And, and they're, they're the ones that you can stand in and add resistance to your body weight uh, on certain aspects of movements they can also help though as well so you could also use them you could uh, they could aid with certain exercises as well as uh, make some exercises harder um, and again they come in different thicknesses as well so a general middle of the range thickness would be quite handy for your for your swim bag uh, one of each if you could if you can manage that uh, and you'd be able to do most things then brilliant Okay, um, we've actually got a question that's come up on the chat box about bands as well. So I think it's a popular subject. Um, okay, so the, the first one that's coming uh, from Olivia, thank you for this. Uh, since we won't be able to do stretches and land warm up on poolside, what would be the recommended time to warm up in advance? That's a great question, Olivia. Um, I was going to say I could be really cheeky and just say we were actually, because we've worked with you guys before, we've actually done a home land warm-up um now obviously some of you might travel five minutes to the pool some of you might have a half hour drive so it's going to be different for everybody but i'll make sure i get those links out to everybody we've got a short and an advanced dry side warm-ups that you guys can do at home so that might help that answer a little bit <laughs> definitely and i understand um it's it's a tricky one it depends, as Kevin mentioned, on your journey. If if you've got a five minute journey, then yes, you could you could do a warm up at home, pop in the car, and then be swim ready and turn up at the pool and get ready for and um, go straight into your session. Because I understand, you know, time frames at the moment, you have to be there dead on time and so on. Um, if you have a long journey, although the weather's not really favourable for this at the moment, but it, could you do some of that warm up outside? It's not as ideal. Um, because in, a, in an ideal sense, you want to be nice and warm. But how many of you play football, netball, sports, which happen outside? And the purpose of a warm up is to get you warm. So if you could 
you could arrive, do your warm up outdoors and then be able to go straight into the pool uh, and not have that poolside element. You wouldn't want to leave it uh, longer in, in an ideal world. You wouldn't want to leave it too much longer than sort of 10, 15 minutes, only because the benefit of that warm up would, would start to lapse. Um, it's a bit hard to put a figure on that because it depends what the pool is like, whether you're indoors, outdoors, if, if you're cold or not, and so on. Um, but if you remember, it's not just for injury prevention, it's also for uh, athletic performance preparation and that potentiation stage at the end is really key. So even if you did the majority of the mobility at home after a day of being sat at school, for example, and then got in the car and then when you got there, just almost did a little short version, like Kevin said, just uh, to at least potentiate and, and be ready for the, for the swim session ahead. I hope that helps answer. Yeah, awesome. As I say, I think it's going to be different for everybody out there, but there's so many different types of warm ups we've got available that are digitally, you know, available and you can break it up and stuff like that. So that's really, really helpful. Um, next one, I've had a direct message on saying what age should we be lifting weights and how heavy? Bearing in mind, this is a 2008 born camp for 12 year olds. OK, thank you. <laughs> um, it's again, quite an open ended question. Uh, I think it's hard to hard to put an actual age on that because it comes down to uh, how the person moves um if they're going through growth spurts at the moment um and also just how how mature and sensible they are um with weights you know they they could be dangerous but equally if they're if they're dealt with sensibly they can help progress you in your athletic performance um so the the myth of it can stunt growth and it can be dangerous is uh incorrect if and as long as um it's done sensibly and with a, a practiced professional sort of overseeing and leading which is why so many sporting national governing bodies are seeking out strength and conditioning uh help and assistance on things like this um so that at least uh, it is um signpost and steered and directed in the right ways um if you you know if you take a if you take an exercise uh like hopscotch your um the landing forces that are going through your body every time you hop and jump um can be anywhere from one and a half to sort of five times your body weight going through your body so that's why strength training isn't a negative it's part and parcel of my role is to make sure that we provide athletes with the ability to cope with the forces that their sport or sports um, puts upon them. But equally, we have to build that up gently with the right movement patterns and add weight as and when it's uh, most advantageous and going to actually have a benefit. And definitely at the uh, the right time, because I think for a lot of swimmers on here, if you take swimming as an example, you might have an athlete that's moved into a club at the age of seven and started doing basic mobility and stretching work from the age of seven, core work and basic land movements at the age of 10. Their physiological profile in terms of learning strength programs is going to be very different to somebody who has never done anything at the age of 12 has suddenly started doing things. Um, so I guess more for the parents out there is completely context driven. So it's mm -hmm. certainly not a case of a, every age should only do this or not do this. It's uh, is very much individualized. Um, yeah. Another question about the bands. What I think I'll do is I'll try and get some links to the different types and then we can include that in the follow up. 
Yeah. Um, an ideal ratio on land training to swimming. Um, good question. I guess at the moment it's a bit context-driven, isn't it? Because if your club's only got two sessions a week in the pool, it's only got two sessions a week in the pool. Yeah. Um, and also I'd say it comes down to how um, how specific, how specific you've uh, gone down into your events as yet. So um, if you're more of a sprinter or a long event and so on, it's, it's going to have a little bit of an effect on that. Um, yeah, that is a, that's quite a hard question to ask, answer. Um, ooh, I would, I'd probably come from it at a slightly different angle of saying that from a strength and conditioning point of view, doing one session a week, you will see some improvements and benefits. Doing two to three, you'll see far quicker and greater improvements and benefits. So that's around the, the volume we tend to suggest for your strength and conditioning type training, uh, two to three sessions a week. Um, I think the, the, the hard way to, to uh, the reason it's hard to answer the rest of that is, is the rest of every athlete out there and on this call's uh, volume and training and lifestyle is probably vastly different. Uh, so it'd be, I think it'd be unfair of me to give a, an exact answer. Uh, but going back to my very first, I think the first question I answered, just be careful of always adding in more and bear in mind that sometimes if, you, if you've never done strength and conditioning before, that sometimes something has to come out to be able to fit in S and C. Uh, you can't always do it all. We see it a lot with um, endurance athletes, especially trying to just add in more and more volume. Uh, and actually the ones who get the most out of it, because the actual time you improve is when and, and adapt and um, benefit is when you rest and recover. So if you don't allow for those, that time frame, then you're not going to see all the benefits of your hard work. Do you guess as well, looking back on like what we mentioned earlier, having a swimmer that's maybe never done anything before and just picking up mobility as an example could add in three mobility sessions for 15 minutes a week and that would still be classed as three strength and conditioning sessions. They're just very different to, say, Michael Phelps or Adam yeah. Peaty or Rebecca Adlington or someone like that who's a senior, fully grown athlete who's going to be doing very different types of land work. So a lot of the stuff we're talking about here is them understanding that they're very early on in their strength and conditioning journey. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah. Another question about ratios. A couple of questions here actually about, I guess, shoulders and by the sounds of it, knees popping out through various strokes. So I'm in, I'm guessing we're talking about joint stability issues there. Mm -hmm. um, just a little disclaimer for everyone out there. I'd say if you've got any specific issues that are potentially injuries or, or other, I would be seeking individual support from a professional physiotherapist, sports therapist or a doctor. Um, but for, and from general stuff, if we're talking about joint stability, can you give us some guidance on that? Yes. Yeah, I completely agree with that disclaimer there. But as a as a general overview, um, we tend to see uh, youth-aged athletes can can have a degree of hypermobility. Um, not saying everyone on his school has, and some people have it in certain areas and not others. Hypermobility is simply where your joints just go a little bit further than the normal range. Uh, it used to get called double-jointed and things like that. So it can be, you might be able to see if your elbow can suddenly extend further than horizontal 
that would be an example of being slightly hypermobile in that right arm and so on. Um, it's when where it is common is around sort of elbow, shoulders and knees, joints which have a lot of uh, ability to move um, are also the most vulnerable in that respect. So they get the most sort of degree of freedom and we can use them uh, very beneficially. But because of that, the chances of potential potential risk or it going slightly wrong is also heightened. The positive is it completely reverts back to the video and the three key areas that you should be working on. So mobility might not be as key if you uh, if you definitely know you're hypermobile, if you're a gymnast, a dancer, can easily do the splits, things like that. It might not be the area you need to focus on as much, but the stability and the strengthening parts are even more important. Uh, and even it's um, it's key to learn where end positions are. So if I was doing a press up, rather than press up into hyperextension and going into that right at end range, it's actually learning to stop in a in a more normal range, should I say, and where the elbow is still just slightly bent. Um, that will probably feel like your arm is still really bent if, if you're not used to that. So um, again, it's a little bit hard to, to uh, clarify across the whole group, but I'd say that could be one of the keys. And the other thing um, is, is again, just general strength of the whole body uh, within reason and relative to its own body weight. So I think being able to do exercises like being able to hold a plank, being able to do small little crawl movements, being able to perform squats, lunges and things like that. All of that will work whenever there's a joint that's got a, a small element of instability. We, gen we can't strengthen the joints without strengthening the muscles above and below. So if you take the knee, we can strengthen the quad above, we can strengthen the hamstring behind and the calf below. So any of those sort of exercises are generally going to be the, the ways to go. So the same with the shoulder. If you think where the shoulder sits, we can strengthen the back and the chest muscles with a little bit of shoulder work as well. So it, it sort of helps steer where your program might want to focus. OK, I've got a few more um, like direct questions, quite a few that are coming in that I guess we're going to cover later in the week. I've got a question generally about how much training we should be doing each day, but I think obviously given the context of where we are now, it's going to be different. I guess what we would say to every athlete is make sure it's balanced and it's progressive. So if you're doing two sessions a week, don't suddenly jump to 10 sessions a week, just making sure you're building up. And I think that we would both agree that it's the same for the pool as it is on land there. It has to be progressive. Um, Next question coming down, uh, homeschooling doesn't like PE. What are the best things to do at home and in the garden? So I think we're looking at kind of land-based stuff there. We've obviously given them three really good videos that have got obviously some land training, some psychology and some nutrition. Um, in terms of other activities, I can see another question further down about that as well. Uh, other activities you can do on land that complement swimming. Can you think of any that come to mind? Uh, yeah, I mean... At your age, I would say just doing what you what you love, uh, being active in something you love, really, whether that's going out for a jog, whether it's going on a bike, uh, whether it's playing badminton, whether it's taking a dog for a walk. It really, um, really doesn't matter. I, I think the main thing, especially when you're in a programme 
you're already at regional level um, in a sport at a young age, you've already got quite a sensible um, routine and you've got to be quite a switched on young athlete. I think there still needs to be an element of get your training in, in a fun way if you can. Um, so that would be my first sort of port of call in terms of exercises to do. Um, you know, if you like, if you like Joe Wicks, if you like watching something and copying them, if you want to set up doing your own videos across Zoom so you can do it with friends because you're missing out on that sort of team teamwork side of, um, of it or not being able to go into school if, if you've got to isolate or anything. Um, I think all of those are key. Uh, gets a little bit harder, I think, with the winter months. Just make sure you do wrap up uh, if you are doing any outdoor sessions so you don't, um, and you've got sensible surface and you don't slip and, and cause yourself any damage by, by doing any anything out on a slippery slippery surface or anything um but yeah no that would be my main my main advice again another mini disclaimer there that we did have in the snc video please make sure when you're doing any of these exercises at home that the area is safe and appropriate and you're also wearing appropriate clothing and footwear because that will have an impact we wouldn't let an athlete turn up to a session at performance hertfordshire wearing jeans uh, and those sorts of things so just be mindful of what you're wearing as well because it will help um right i've got a nutrition question coming in may i'm going to ask you to save that for friday night because we've got a nutrition one if you're not able to make friday night or tomorrow's psychology session and you've got a question just get your parents to email me them in we will be recording the audio for that um straight answer on this one would you recommend doing a land workout before each training session if we're regarding a land workout as a warm-up then yes <laughs> Um, but obviously, again, everyone at the moment is going to be so different in what they've got access to. So I wouldn't at this current moment in time, it's doing what we can. But <clears throat> ideally, every single athlete, I don't know about you, Fiona, but I think every single athlete, if they can, should do some form of mobility or land work before they start a pool session, if there's access to do it. Absolutely. The, the, the raise, mobilise, activate and potentiate, you know, there's science proven that that is going to have an impact on how you then compete and perform. So, you know, if I told you that you could get a 5% increase in your performance, would you take it or not? Most people would go, yep, how do I do that? And if I just said you have to warm up, it's a pretty easy win. So I think um, that's that's a no-brainer. I, I think if the question was more, would you always want to do um, a gym session before a pool session? then again it comes back to context unfortunately but it depends what the athlete in front of me needs to focus on so if if someone is really um focusing on their swim technique really needs to make sure the pool is 100 percent key and the strength and conditioning and gym sessions are supportive of it um you'd almost prioritize and therefore put the swimming sessions first uh, whereas if it's the other factor and we have some of our older athletes who sometimes the coaches might say they really need to work on strength or power or endurance. Uh, and actually they give us a month to really prioritize strength training. And we can actually somewhat tweak when their swim sessions are going to be pool dependent. Um, then that would take the priority. Right, perhaps. Brilliant. Um Again, I'm going to try and do a few one-word answers just because we currently have 29 questions in the chat box, which Sorry. is fantastic. Um, but I know we're, we're going over a few of the same areas here. The best side sport for swimming, again, at your age, have fun, keep it diverse, communicate with your coaches so they know what you're up to. But uh, at, at your age, it's fine. Do what you enjoy. Uh, I've had a direct question here around the pieces of equipment to use. I think in terms of the videos you've put out, we've just put bands. 
um, with the idea being is that most of us don't have access to a gym um, on a regular basis. So if we, yeah, we'll keep it, keep it simple at a young age. I mean, is there anything else you can think of, Fiona, that we would add to that? No, I mean, you can generally find something to make something a little bit harder and it's probably going to be levels. So if you take a press up, doing it at an incline is slightly easier than flat. And if flat's easy, you can suddenly make it decline and you can also add tempos. So doing something slower is harder because you've got to work for longer. So there's not always bits of equipment you need. Sometimes you can just change other aspects as well. Okay. Um, next question. Best cardio to do before swimming that doesn't completely wear you out? Ooh. Um, are you doing it for, for a fitness reason? Why are you choosing to do cardio before swimming? That's all I've got. So <laughs> I'm guessing we would say something that's just going to raise the heart rate gradually to a relatively low level and not to a point where we're at 180 BPM with the kids panting before they even start. <laughs> uh, I, I very much like um, ankling or low level skipping because it also works your ankle joint and helps uh, with your turns and starts. Oh, fantastic top tip there. I'm going to see everyone doing skipping in the car park now. Um, okay, uh, another question about a lot of sports. Is there a big need for land training? Again, I guess it depends on what other sports you're doing and when you're doing them because, and also why you're doing land training. Because if, for example, you're trying to do become more springy, and I'm thinking more of a senior athlete that's trying to get better at their jump, for example, and their other sport is basketball, then perhaps they're already doing enough springy work. So I think it might be different for everybody there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it depends on the on the context and what they're looking for. Uh, there's very few sports that we uh, that I can't see why they would need strength and conditioning. Uh, we we program for about twenty five to thirty, and some of the more obscure ones are uh, clay pigeon shooting, uh, table tennis, um, to para skiing. To yeah, there's there's always something that hopefully we can help with shooting. Uh, modern pentathlon okay so yeah within reason doesn't matter what you're doing there's always a land training can bring something to the table yeah. um i've got a couple of questions about nutrition guys please save those ones for friday evening um question about uh joint pain in terms of growth uh, and basically saying hips are hurting and potentially popping out during uh breaststroke and backstroke should they get it checked out i think there's a very simple answer there <laughs> yes so definitely get it checked out by somebody who is accredited locally if you're unsure please come to us and we'll happily recommend because we've got a pretty good network and we can speak to people um okay another question about shoulder joint stability on butterfly so i guess we're looking at the stability section of the video that we've sent out uh before and only more than swim that's another food one uh how much land training a day um <laughs> At the moment, <laughs> I guess, would you say, Fiona, that again, how much context? Because at the end of the day, if you only got three pool sessions a week or even two pool sessions a week, then actually a few times a week, you might do land training session a couple of times a day at home if you want to. It, it is probably the best time to gradually bring in and increase volume of land training because I imagine everyone's, uh, everyone's pool availability is limited. And probably other sports are a little bit limited as well. And PE at school and everything, everything. <laughs> we seem to have lost our time uh, doing sports at the moment. 
So it doesn't mean completely replace it. It just means bring it in gradually and doing some more is absolutely fine. Uh, like Kevin said earlier, you could do daily land training if you did different areas, if you focused on mobility and then the next day did strengthening the next day. We just don't want to we don't want to have a negative effect and make you too tired and we want to allow you to rest as well. OK, Um question there about printing out the slides so what i'm going to do i will it probably have to be next week but i will pull all the individual slides onto a document pdf that and send that out to everybody so you've got those slides if you want to print them out just for reminders um again we've already answered the one how much should you do each day a couple of questions coming in about drinking and eating again guys please save that one in terms of drinking plenty of water there's a little heads up on friday's discussion uh, best exercise for tight hamstrings um, not necessarily, I mean, stretching is good for it, but, um, you can also train to improve tight hamstrings. I think people often think it has to come from a stretch. Um, so that's not a bad place to start because like I said earlier, especially if you've just suddenly grown, your leg bones are suddenly longer than they were before and the muscles have to lengthen and catch up. So that can often, uh, and it commonly affects the hamstrings or quads, um, hence why it can then have a little bit of a niggle on the hips and knees. Um, so with regards to that, just regular stretching, I, I just, I mean, there's loads of hamstring ones out there trying to touch your toes or doing a seated version so you can work one leg at a time. I just try and make my stretching as easy and, and doable as possible. So I tend to do it on the lounge floor in front of the TV. So I make it a habit uh, and I do it more regularly. Um, but don't forget, you can also do some of the exercises we showed you like the squats, the deadlift patterns, and you can actually gain range through movement. So that was the other little caveat to that. Okay, brilliant. Uh, I'm, I'm scrolling through, but there's, they're coming in thick and fast, which is great. Well done, everyone, for, for getting involved. This is awesome. Um, question about rollers and tight shoulders. Separate questions, but um, I mean, possibly some overlap. Uh, lost it. So foam rollers, was it? Uh, yeah. So which equipment is best to use? Shall we use rollers? They're not a bad bit of equipment at all. Foam rollers are useful. However, if I, uh, at your age, if I had to say whether you should stretch or foam roll, I would say stretch primarily because you're growing. Um, foam roll is like self-massage. So if you've, got, if you've got muscles that get a bit knotted and tight, then, um, then um, a massage or foam rolling sort of helps alleviate those and allow them to sort of uh, be in their natural form. But what's more likely to probably have an effect on young athletes is the fact that they're growing and probably sitting at school for in a seated position for too much of a day. So I'd say stretching would outweigh foam rolling for me. Okay, awesome. Uh, best stretch for super tight shoulders, word for word. Door frame stretch, and Jack showed you. Brilliant. Oh, that's a super fast answer there. This is awesome. I have three questions back to back about eating. Again, guys, save them for Friday. Uh, I've got a question about actually speaking directly to you guys. So what I'll do is make sure the contact information for Performance Hertfordshire is in in the notes that we send out. And I say, if anyone's got any further questions on contact stuff, please get in touch. Um, I've got a couple of questions about rotator cuff exercises. Exercises. Uh yeah, it, good area, very important area um, to keep strong. 
Um, probably easier. We've got a YouTube channel, uh, Performance Hearts, I'd say that, um, at YouTube or on YouTube, if you just search us. Uh, we've got a whole area of accessory exercises. Um, and there's some that are called like seven way shoulders, six way shoulders. We've got different ones. Um, you don't need, we might be doing them in a gym with weights, but you can feel them just doing it purely uh, as body weight exercise or holding a can of beans. Um, so I'd probably recommend those. But the, the other key thing with rotator cuff exercises is really make sure you do them right as opposed to uh, tr- too many people try and go heavy and then recruit the bigger muscles like the lats, like the chest and the shoulder muscles. And then you're not working the rotator cuff, which is the actual purpose. So do it perfectly uh, with low weights. Okay, awesome. And just for the swimmers out there, even when I was swimming back in the day and I was 21 and I was still using a yellow TheraBand for rotator cuff exercises because you've got to keep it manageable and make sure that you're hitting the right points. So uh, I can promise you that's true. (laughs) Uh, Question about uh, which colour band would you recommend? Again, I think that's going to be different for everybody, but... Um, I think what we'll do is I'll try and pull together a bit of information on bands and put that in the follow-up because there are quite a few questions there about bands. And um, different, different companies have different colours as well, which is <laughs> it further. So, yeah. <laughs> which doesn't help. Um, a question here about difference between joint pain and growing pain. I guess if in doubt, speak to a doctor because, you know, it's we're, we're not medical staff and um, I think uh, we, we can't tell you what you're, you're feeling effectively. Yeah, I think I think um, keep keep notes on on any niggles. I think that's probably just a key that I would say, so that then when you do see seek medical um, a medical professional, you have sort of some some notes on oh it always happens then or I noticed this or what have you. You you can look at monitoring your height and if you have suddenly grown and see some increased pain, then you could put two and two together. But I I, I would still seek medical attention. Okay. Uh, would you stretch top half or bottom half of the body first? Ooh, uh, I tend to work bottom up, but I, I don't know why. I just, I think it's personal preference. I just work from the feet up. Okay. Um, <laughs> personal preference it is. Guys, just to give everyone a, a time check, we've got about five more minutes and I've got a lot of questions on here, although quite a few of us are asking similar things, which is, which is good because uh, hopefully we're, we're answering a lot of people's um questions another one about rollers a good stretch for tight ankles tight ankles are a calf stretch just dropping your heel off a step okay super simple uh i've got a height related question but i'll happily answer that one it says i'm small for my age does that affect how quick i am absolutely not two of the most successful women ever to swim out of this country are both relatively small in terms of their height so it doesn't affect your speed um, and uh, there was an Olympic champion back in 2012 who was relatively short as well. So height is not an issue. Uh, right. Uh, drag shorts for swim sets. Um, good question. I'm not sure how it's how we'd relate that to s and C. I I guess all drag shorts are different. I'd say wear what you're comfortable in within reason. <laughs> um, best ways to warm up the arm joints you've obviously gone through the i guess the ramp protocol which will be in this video that we will send out to you uh another question about rollers uh, certain strokes at certain ages i'll dive straight in on that one wait until you've fully grown 
most of our youth and senior athletes start specializing in their mid to late teens. So at the age of 12, you guys keep it very general because you cannot predict how you're going to grow and develop. Uh, good exercise for my heel, as often I have put too much pressure on it and it hurts to walk on. Um, I, if, if it does hurt to walk on your heel, it could be a couple of things. Uh, again, I would probably seek uh, physio or uh, medical advice, uh, plantar fasciitis and uh, heel fat pad pain. It sounds like uh, the first thing as a, as a quick can't hurt answer is to make sure that the calves are uh, stretched. So that stretch off the bottom of a step. Okay, awesome. Uh, stretches after a swim session. Again, we'll include that in the video, but that will probably come under most of your mobility stretches. Um, focus on certain strokes at a young age. Absolutely not. Uh, keep it nice and open, lots of range, um, just because, you again, you're not going to know what you're going to do development-wise. Uh, if you become too muscular, will it affect your flexibility? Eventually, yes. Uh, there's always a point of diminishing returns. It's sort of the same uh, if you've got someone too strong, uh, they're going to get too heavy to suddenly be as fast or powerful if that's what the sport needs. Um, but I think, like I said before, you can also maintain flexibility if you do movements with good form and throughout whole range of movements. So uh, your your practitioner, your strength and conditioning coach uh, should help steer you in the right uh, right routine to make sure that the program uh, is balanced and suitable for, for your goals. Fantastic. Uh, I've got another question about drag shorts. I will pick that up next. I think it's Thursday or Wednesday when we've got our head coach and lead drop-in call. Um, we'll, we'll look a little bit more into that. Uh, I've got two more questions. One about neck stretches. So can you give us some neck stretches? Uh, simplest one, seated on a chair, is just to... The main thing with neck stretch exercises is to make sure you're in good posture before you start them, because otherwise you're stretching in an incorrect position. So sit in good posture, and by that, your ear should be over your shoulder. So head against the wall if you're, uh, if you're not sure about that. Um, and then just simply drop your ear towards your shoulder. And if you want a little bit of an added stretch, you can hold underneath your chair if you're seated or just gently pull on your head just slightly. Um, and you can just play around with chin down or chin up slightly and it just changes the area on the neck. So it will move slightly further round behind the ear, depending on where you're typing. Brilliant. Uh, and then the final one I've had is my knees are on breaststroke. Any particular stretches around the knee? Um, the hip rocker stretch from the video, so where you're trying to just uh, open out through the through the groin, that's possibly uh, a little bit tight. Um, again, especially if we, if we sit a bit more than we should at the moment or we cross your legs a lot. Um, that would be my first one. But any of the movements of the lower limb uh, that we we did in the in the mobility section, so any sort of lunge with rotation, uh, any of those exercises should uh, definitely help um, help that. If, if you're absolutely fine doing that, then uh, yeah, reach out to us and we can look into it further. But that would be my first port of call. 
Brilliant. Well, I'm seeing a lot of questions on there about certain levels of mobility. So I can think of perhaps maybe next year for resources or after Christmas, once hopefully things are a bit more clear, we can look at perhaps doing some mobility flows and stuff like that. Um, but just for now, guys, thank you so much. Uh, we had 72 people on the peak of the call. I've had 45 questions come in. So uh, so much engagement. What a fantastic way to kick off our development camps this year. Um, Fiona, thank you so much. It's uh, It's an unusual way of us us working but it's uh, it's great to see so many athletes on uh, and as i say what we'll do is we will pull together the notes from the slides that were in the video a few other links that we think are going to be of use and then if you've got any additional questions that are snc related please either send them on to me or once we've got the information out to you have a look at it and then go from there but uh, for everyone have a wonderful evening thank you very much for your time and thank you fiona for for helping us out today Thank you for having me and great questions. I wish you all the very best. Excellent. All right. Have a good evening, everyone, and see you all soon. Thanks again to Fiona and Performance Hearts for some great insights there. All the contact information you need, as well as some useful links, are in the show notes for you. As mentioned, this is the first of three episodes, so make sure you check out the psychology and nutrition shows as well. We love hearing back from our listeners and growing our network that we can support, so please share this podcast link with your friends and your comments on our social media pages so we know what you thought. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode and will join us again soon for the Swim England East Region podcast.